Oh, newspapermen meet such interesting people. They know the lowdown, now it can be told. I'll tell you quite reliably off the record about some charming people I have known. For I meet politicians and grafters by the score. Killers, plain and fancy, it's really quite a bore. Oh, newspapermen meet such interesting people. They wallow in corruption, crime and gore. Ting-a-ling-ling, city desk. Pull the press, pull the press. Extra, extra, read all about it. It's the Media Project gives you a half hour of commentary and analysis on what's going on in the news media. We have a panel of distinguished retired journalists who are going to offer some insights or at least some observations. We are hopeful that it will be insightful. I'm Rex Smith, your host. I'm the former editor of the Times Union and the Troy Record, and I am currently running a thing called The Upstate American. You can find it at www.upstateamerican.com. That's my plug for the day. Next to me here is Barbara Lombardo, formerly executive editor of the Saratogian and the Record in Troy. Next to her is Ira Fussfeld, the former publisher, before that the editor of the Daily Freeman in Kingston, New York, and affiliated publications. And at the end of the table over there holding down the fort is Rosemary Armeo, distinguished former investigative journalist of all sorts of things, currently teaching. Yeah, how do you want to be introduced, Rosemary? What do you, I mean, I don't know quite what to say because you've Done. I don't know. Master Gardener. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's my favorite thing these days, too. News consumer. There we and go. there's so few of us these days. Well, there are fewer. You know, when you look at the numbers, uh, of course, we all know that circulation of newspapers, the paper part, is tiny by comparison to what it used to be, except for a few, well, for all of them, actually, it's down. But there is such a challenge even to luring digital subscribers. So I don't know, what would you do if you were in charge now? How do you get people to pay attention to the news? You know, our job is not just reporting when you're a journalist. Your job really is to make the news accessible and available. So, Rosemary, you used to be a managing editor. What's your... uh... I don't have an answer. I am seeking solutions. I have a class of beginning journalists at UAlbany and they do not read news. They know nothing, even about things that they are interested in. The media they consume is largely TikTok and other social media. So I do have an assignment where they're going to put on a newscast. It could be a podcast or a TV show or an editorial meeting, and they're going to pick the stories in the format to be used. So I will report back when that's done. Well, but they don't look right now. They turn off. We had a exercise on news avoidance, which we've talked about on this program where they see it as part of their mental health to not get as immersed in the news as we all are here. To that point, Ira, you're a TikTok user. Would you, if you were a publisher today, would you be publishing on TikTok? I would think that it should be part of the mix. It wouldn't be exclusively on TikTok. You know, the premise of your original question, I think, was there isn't as much many people reading the news or getting the news. I think there is evidence that there are more people than ever getting the news and reading the news. The problem, particularly for those of us in the traditional media, the mainstream, is that they're going elsewhere. They're going to partisan publications. They're going to social media. They're going to digital bells and whistles. And so the remaining people who are reading newspapers are people who have lived their entire lives reading newspapers, and they can't shed the habit. But each day, 
In the obituary page, you see another couple of your readers disappearing for good. But on those platforms, I mean, think, Barbara, about what you what you counted as important news when you were editing community newspapers. On those platforms that I was mentioning, that's not what you're finding. You don't see anything about school boards. You don't see anything about town. Well, you don't see enough, that's uh. for sure, or you're seeing it in a partisan way. Mm-hmm. This whole idea of young people not reading the news is not news. And those of us who've been around for a while, that has been the case forever. And I remember being a student at what's now Binghamton University, and there were very few of us, even those of us who were taking journalism electives, which it was at the time, and I was a poli-sci major, there were very few people that were actually reading newspapers. That people didn't know oh, what come was on, going on. Come on, we're whitewashing it. And, uh, and yes. it's okay. So I'm saying young people not being interested in the news is not a new thing. Except they're not coming back. We used to not watch those young people, and then as soon as you got a job, you got a house, you began reading it. That's not happening. And it isn't just newspapers. It's news in general. I have college-age students who cannot tell me who Victor Prigozhin was or how he died. Mm-hmm. That is news avoidance. It isn't just being busy and not paying attention. That is like not paying attention and not caring. I like that. You posted that on Facebook, yes. and you said that one of the answers that a student gave was that he was the president of Istanbul. President of Istanbul <laughs> or, or the host of Price is Right, because, you know, if you don't know the answer on a quiz, you guess. But isn't news avoidance the suggestion that we're so inundated with news that we're yep. avoiding it? literally avoiding it. And that is how many of my students feel when I talk to them. And I think there's also the element of if it doesn't matter to me, I don't care. I would really like to believe that, and I did for a while, but things they do care about, climate, they sincerely care about it. Don't read anything about it. Mm -hmm. Couldn't tell you about the storms lately, knew nothing about wildfires in Hawaii. They don't look at news. They just think of it as boomers. And so what's the responsibility of journalists? If we believe that what journalism does is essential to a free society, how do you get it out there? How do you make it interesting to people? That's our job as journalists. We have to make it consumable. In other words, you have to make it available. You have to go where the where the eyeballs are. You have to try to make it something that is digestible and desirable. And how can you do that if you have people, young people especially, who right. aren't interested. I think that we need to work with the schools. Parents are not reading papers at home like they like our parents That's did. That's true. Or radio or any of those things. But teachers would get it. They get the need for media literacy, for media just paying attention to it. So why aren't there clubs in schools like there used to be, even the yearbook? Why aren't there journalism classes? Those have all disappeared. We talk on this program about the disappearance of civics, but journalism has disappeared from high schools too, from what I can figure out. But I just want to back up a little bit to something Barbara said earlier about younger people always didn't read newspapers. Before the emergence of all of the newfangled technologies, even if the only reason young people were attracted to newspapers were the comics, if they were very young, or the Little League baseball scores, if they're a little older, or the high school and college scores, there were things in newspaper. You didn't grab them on every page of the newspapers, but there was a reason for them to read it. And then the number of outlets changed, and and there were more places to go. And ours was the, the old fogies, the fuddy-duddies, and so we lost them at a greater speed than other publications might have. 
Yeah, and yet when I graduated from college, I remember the number was 84%. That is 84% of American adults were daily news consumers. Right. And by the time I left the editorship of the Times Union the months before the pandemic began in 2020, that had fallen to just above 40% who said, yes, I interact with the news on a daily basis. Now, that's not just print. That is consuming news. You know, and we see it in all kinds of things. I, I used to have this notion, that, oh, well, if we just gave a series of headlines on rock radio, that would be good. But that doesn't work either because terrestrial radio signals, people are dropping that, as a matter of fact. Evidenced by the fact that even NPR has had to cut its staff by 10 percent, has had to lay off 100 employees because even rock radio and public radio are all having trouble these days. Have you considered that we cannot interest people that news is as a matter of public interest is dead, that there's no way to bring it back? Not dead, but ailing. And if I knew how to bring it back, we could solve that in the next 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> we have 20 minutes left in the show. We, we could get this well, for you. You have people today, a growing number of people who simply do not believe what they yep. see in the newspaper or on TV if it's not matching their own point of view. What do you do there? You, we could we could produce the best media publication in whatever format that you want to invent. If they don't believe you, how do you make them believe you? Which is even problematic going into the schools, as Rosemary was suggesting, because it may not be as much a problem in the Northeast where we are, but if you try to put newspapers into the public schools in Florida, you're going to be in the middle of a political controversy. Uh, there will be people who will be saying that uh, this newspaper is uh, all a bunch of liberal lies and you can't have that in your classroom. And you'll have school boards embracing it because straightforward news reporting has become politically suspect. I think that we do need, however, to therefore, I mean, I do think your answer is right. We need to go into the schools, but even that, is problematic because of the distrust of any sources of authority. The New York News Publishers Association, an organization in, in New York State, has someone on their very small staff who creates this reading program for schools mm -hmm. to use. A and news literacy curriculum, yeah, yes, that's great. Yes, news literacy mm -hmm. curriculum, thank you. Mm -hmm. And it includes information about a certain story, something that's topical for that month, and then it offers two or three suggestions of activities that that class could be doing that involves Go online or like or print and find examples of how what that story is about. So it's something from the past, how that applies today and talk about it. And, and I guess what I think I'll do for next time is find out you know, just how widespread that is. And maybe this helps plug it, that it's a great little mm -hmm. item for schools to have. It's for the younger kids, but it's a start. Feeling my sense of doom return that I, I see problems with democracy not unrelated to this uh, lack of awareness. We don't have a citizenry that feels like it's their duty to be informed anymore. There's some news we are not going to make interesting. The budget hassle in Congress coming up, there's no way to make that really interesting. And it could result in a government shutdown and an impeachment. It's all tied in together. And there's no way other than to write about it. That, that's going to make that appealing to people who don't want to read news. And that means citizens who are not well, informed. People will get interested in it when they realize their Social Security checks are not coming. Yeah, that'll get a lot of young people. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, there will be uh, some impact, surely, on the on the young when government shutdown happens, but it will take such a long time. And when you don't have independent analysis explaining what's going on or people paying attention to it, when you only get the partisan takes on things, and especially now that you have both so-called news sites that mimic news sites that are actually partisan in nature, or you have artificial stuff that has been uh, generated by AI or that has been doctored so that it isn't really what it appears to be, you have a real threat to credibility. Well, while I share Rosemary's pessimism about <laughs> people and democracy and public information and all that, I think that the media, mainstream media, including only online media, need to keep chipping away. That about the only thing we can do is keep chipping away and making the news on items that are as relevant as possible to people's lives. It disturbs me greatly, for instance, that the big reporting about the presidential race has been watered down to a horse race. We get sucked into mm -hmm. the same stupid reporting of it's a done deal, Trump's going to be the candidate, and, and I feel as if they're throwing their hands up and just going with the flow instead of showing leadership and coverage, which could be considered by some to be partisan, but what it really is is leadership and courage in coverage. Well, now listen to this quotation from Will Bunch, columnist of the Philadelphia Inquirer, who actually, by the way, used to work in the Newsday Albany Bureau here when I was the bureau chief there. So Will is a wonderful guy. But listen to what he wrote recently. Journalism fails miserably at explaining what is really happening to America. He says that we are at a pivotal, dangerous moment with the Republican Party enthralled to Trump and, and aiming toward fascism. Yet most of the media is, as you say, Barbara, covering the election through the prism of the horse race and talking about tribalism. He says, we need to understand that if the next 15 months remain the worst covered election in U.S. history, it might also be the last. I don't want to say that that isn't true, but I have heard hand-wringing about horse race journalism for the last 30 years. We've talked about that on this program every year that there's an election cycle. Mm -hmm. So has it always been that bad, or is it just sort of a typical criticism that we come up it's with? It's more every... consequential than ever. And mm -hmm. then I also know that every time there's an election, it's the most important election ever. It's the <laughs> most critical vote ever. Uh -huh. But. I and really do think I, I'm, I we are. remember the era of journalists were going to do different election coverage, and so they had a whole thing where they polled their readers, and they got the issues that were most important, and then they went to the candidates and said, tell us how you feel about this. Some candidates didn't answer, so they didn't get covered, and that was Strom Thurmond as one example. It did not keep him out of office. It made the newspapers even less relevant than they had been. I, I don't know how you cover a race without saying Trump is in the lead. How can he be when he's got 91 charges against him? That's the part you have how, to keep saying that. not? Yeah. Well, we do. And we, not always. Hmm. Not, not repeatedly. Oh, boy. Oh, okay. I, I don't know. I mean, I read a lot of news. I even look at, you know, those other stations like Fox. Oh, well, that's and the... it does seem like we say it all the time. People are not listening. We somehow have not made it interesting. Mm -hmm. How do you make that interesting and yet chip away? We're saying all the same things that we've said, as you as you mentioned, Max, for 30 years. It doesn't make a difference. Mm. Because they don't believe us. Right. Oof. And one question, I think, which is raised by Columbia Journalism Review in response to the Will Bunch column, which mm -hmm. is, is media criticism overly harsh. 
You know, here's a columnist, a media reporter at The Washington Post who's uh, named Paul Farhi who responds, says, just once, maybe a columnist could write, the news media is doing a great job about informing America about the state of their country. But no, nah, it's just that media criticism is one-sided is the point. And do we do that here on this show, in fact? Are we too much portraying the media as wrong in some way when you don't see that, for example, in film criticism? Sometimes movies are good and sometimes they're not. Uh, you don't see that in theater, dance, sports, architecture, any other kind oh, of criticism. Christ. Me a river. <laughs> none, of, none of those other areas that you mentioned are central to life. Yeah. Media is a power in the same way that government and business is, and we have to turn a critical eye on it because it affects people's day-to-day life. I'm sorry, the other things do not film, and art are wonderful, and they enhance our lives, but they are not central to our lives. Well, I would argue, and I believe I have on this program, is that the media, the news media, the print news media, to which Bunch refers there, has long been more introspective than any other industry. Right. We are gazing at our navels all the time. We're trying to do things better, and we're reporting on our faults to a fault. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't do that. I'm saying it makes it's one of the things that makes us unique, but it also might create an atmosphere among those who are digesting that information that we can't get anything done right. Look at all the self-criticism. Schools have the same thing. Any, any area that everybody is involved with, they think that they're as expert as you are. So school teachers get a lot of criticism. You don't hear about but all where, the good but they where do is it to trans- Where is it disseminated? What do you mean, where is it? Like where is if, what if school te- you're saying school teachers are critical of themselves? No, 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 no. Oh. I'm saying the public is critical of any area oh, in which they have a familiarity. They think that they know as much. So when we criticize ourselves, they're saying, yeah, see, even the media is saying they're wrong in this way. There was an article in The Nation decades ago called Why the Media Eats Its Young. And we are super critical, and we should be. You're right. That's how you get better. We're not regulated. We are protected by the Constitution, and so we should be looking at ourselves. But to people reading it from the outside, it looks like, look at all the things they did wrong. Oh, my gosh. What a great headline writer. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It eats itself. And the media does does do a lot of good things. In my journalism class, we looked at, this was from April, but we looked at a piece on CNN by Ellie Reeve, who made her name when she did the Charlottesville protest when she was working for Vice. She did a fantastic job with that. And she does special reporting for for CNN. And, And in this example, the question was, on campuses across the nation, are people less open to different ideas and the discussion between what's free speech and what's just hate speech that's really not adding what's merely provocative and not really worth bringing onto campus and discussing and so she was in University of Pittsburgh and that was the focus but then she took the broader issue and it was a very well done it was only seven minutes long only one of my students had seen it before because she was just interested in following news and we looked at how it's done in video and there was an accompanying story and how it's researched and written as a story and I just felt so hopeful because that news is out there. On the flip side, several of the students hadn't even heard that something similar to this had happened at UAlbany last spring. Wow. And there was a reference in this CNN story that it's happening in here, here, and New York. And somebody said, like, New York. And I said, yeah, here. here. You're yeah. kidding me. So Right. So what you're saying is that there is a lot of good uh, news coverage going on out there that doesn't get the attention. Actually, day to day. Uh, solid, important news coverage. It's kind of like the criticism that we often heard about, oh, you people in the media only cover bad news. The answer being, well, of course, that's what is news. You know, uh, 100 planes take off and land every day at Albany International Airport, and we don't write about them. But if one 
jet this year, belly flops, that's going to be a big story. That is the nature of news. So we tend to write about the problems and we write about the scandals in journalism. We write about the journalists who don't do things well, those few who are actually liars and misanthropes. There have been a few of those over the years that have been spotlighted, but they are rare. And that's why you don't read more about it. That is not what you hear from the hard right in American politics. Uh, seems to me that it isn't a journalism problem then as much as it is, frankly, a right-wing political problem. People so much uh, disagreeing with the truth-telling role of the media that you end up with denigration of honest news coverage. And we're feeling the effects of that. And listen, we've all been on the other end of a phone call about somebody complaining that all you do is report the bad news. And I think we, I know I've done it, I'm sure Barbara's done it. We've literally measured our newspaper column inches on a day-to-day basis to prove to ourselves, if not to anybody else, that there's much more good news, quote unquote, than bad news in newspapers. Depends on whether you're a Yankees fan or not. Well, (laughs) right now it's mids and mids. Well, although, when we're talking about good news, it's often press releasey kind of things that it, it is news. And to the people in a community, when somebody is succeeding at something, something good happens or something new has been brought into your town that's going to enhance the lives of people, that that is good news and it is Well, and I'm not just talking about news cover. I'm talking about wedding announcements, engagements, births, those everyday pieces of existence in a community are in fact covered by the whatever media is in that community. If there okay, is media. Talk, talk about it at a national level. What good, what good news national story is running right now, for example? Well, that's interesting. And do people believe it? Here's one. The American economy is stronger than it is in and every other Western. And people don't believe it. That's exactly right. Because yeah. yeah. they go grocery shopping. Right. But inflation right now is at one-third the level that it was a year ago. Inflation has been brought under control in America. The much better right. level in any Western country. Employment Our is employment at a record is levels. The economy yep. is booming, but people don't believe it. And that is that because people aren't consuming the media, because we are not effectively delivering it. Or is that a political problem? Is it up to Joe Biden to sell Bidenomics, you know? What's the issue? All of those things. Mm -hmm. All of those things combined. Yeah. Well, anyway, if you have thoughts on this, media at wamc.org, please let us know your thoughts. Media at wamc.org. Rosemary Armeo, Ira Fussfeld, Barbara Lombardo, and I'm Rex Smith, and we thank you for joining us in the Media Project. You think about how valuable this media coverage is. You have to take a moment to think about where we are with respect to the rest of the world. Let me just give you two examples here. In Russia, a Nobel-winning journalist named Dmitry Muratov, winner of the Nobel Prize, Peace Prize, has been declared a foreign agent, which means that he could be imprisoned as a foreign agent because this is part of Russia's move to suppress critics and independent reporting. In Myanmar, um, the photojournalist who actually covered the aftermath of the cyclone in May, he's been given a 20-year sentence for reporting on the cyclone's aftermath. At hard labor. At hard labor. Yeah. We don't give murderers that here. Yeah. And he covered a bad storm. Yeah, America has such a great gift in the First Amendment and in the independent press it has, and we don't value it and want to give it back. It's just unbelievable to me. And I don't know how you get that across to people when you have, frankly, one side of the political debate in this country consistently insisting that truthful coverage is in fact a lie, that the media is the enemy of the people, as Donald Trump puts it. 
and I wish I could say that, well, both sides say this kind of thing. It is not true that it is both sides. It would be inaccurate for journalists to say that both sides do the same thing. This is a right-wing authoritarian phenomenon that we have to call out, but it makes us sound more partisan and makes it harder for conservatives to embrace this because, unfortunately, this is something that is being done by the right wing. So how do we overcome it? I mean, is it like talking heads where we're on the road to nowhere? (laughs) Yes, Ira, it is. It is, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I try to think in my own mind a strategy to combat organizations, other media or politicians who insist that what you're reporting is wrong or are misreporting it themselves. Well, maybe you slip it in. You know, one of the great phenomena of uh, journalism these days is replacing those hard newspapers, uh, replacing the old forms It have been newsletters. Think about this, how much news is being delivered by emails, targeted newsletters, like whether it's about food or sports or pop-up newsletters, uh, little things that are interesting, which if you look at the well-shaped newsletters, you're Your food newsletter also has, which you may get because you care about food and not politics, but at the bottom of it, here are the headlines about politics and news. So you kind of slip the news in with the other content. This is a strategy that news organizations are using these days and which they have to use in part because social media is downplaying the news. You know, this is a huge phenomenon. Meta has now made the decision. Mark Zuckerberg says people don't go to Facebook to get news. And so they are changing the algorithms so that it's very hard to deliver news on Facebook these days. Facebook referrals for major news organizations are down by 30 to 40 percent from what they were, say, five years ago when I was last watching those numbers in a big way. And so the phenomenon of creating newsletters to deliver specific content and then kind of slipping real news in with them might be one of the solutions to try to get this across, you know? I just keep thinking there needs to be a seminal moment in the history of this country, a 9-11 kind of moment, and maybe it would be something that would occur if Trump becomes president again and he continues to move more aggressively to a fascist state that at some point in time, when the public, even those who supported him initially, see what has in fact happened, that maybe that seminal event will will begin to change minds. Like what is happening in Israel right now? Is that not the same sort of thing? Is Israel the model for the United States? uh, You mean how the public has protested the Netanyahu government? Right, the country is being divided by Netanyahu's attempt to There just has to be something, there has to be something that will light the light bulb in people's heads who have been so vociferously against what those of us have tried to do for January 6th didn't do that. Yeah. January yeah. 6th didn't do that. Right. No. right. I have given up when Trump first got in. I said there will be something that happens and we'll all see yeah. the light. And it, I, I, I've given up on that. I, yeah, I, I don't to, imagine I what it would be. Bubble. No, I, I'm trying to brainstorm here because otherwise we're on the road to nowhere. Well, yeah. And uh, uh, A U.S. president going to jail. And that could happen. Trump could get in and he ends up in jail. Could, could that be the moment? Or would it just harden the hard right in their feelings against... Yeah. Uh, oh, I think there's already been happen. plenty published that people don't even care if, if yep. he goes to jail. Yep. He's still their president. And I thought that 9-11, I naively thought that 9-11 was going to change the world and people are going to get along better and well, people are going to see the bigger picture. <laughs> no, no, Maybe I mean, an hour. Uh, and, an hour. <laughs> and then when January 6th happened, I thought the same thing. Oh, yeah, this will do finally, it. Finally, this is going to open. You could see it with your own eyes. 
I wouldn't say January 6th would have been the... I would How think low do we have to go? If Donald Trump becomes a dictator, at what point, if at all, will many people who enjoyed the freedom of this country say, no, this is not what we want? I don't know. People, I, I, love, people are happy to have an authoritarian well, right. that's I feel, place. I feel like we could be having this discussion just before the splitting of the Union, before the Civil War. So is that article, yeah. that, what, what, what seminal thing would bring us together? Yeah, well, we'll see. Unfortunately, this has been a downer of a show, ladies oh, and gentlemen. Oh, I have a tip. In the, in the next 25 <laughs> seconds, I downloaded the ChatGBT app, and I want, and I tested it out, and I wrote my own name in. I said, give me a biography of Ira Fussell, and it came up with stuff that I didn't recognize, including my date of birth. <laughs> so the moral is be careful about chat. Be careful. Be careful what you take as credible. All right. That's Ira Fussfeld with Rosemary Mayo and Barbara Lombardo and I'm Rex Smith with gratitude to our producer, David Gustina, for putting up with all this. And to you folks for joining us this week on The Media Project. Let's give three cheers for freedom of the press.